My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right. Today is my mom's birthday. She's a great lady. Uh, I was thinking about, I mean, I think there's so many answers to this question, but like what makes a person great? Um, I think it's easy to have debates about these kinds of things. I think about sports, like, uh, who's the greatest baseball player who ever lived? Otani, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds. <laughs> Ooh, I see you, I see you. Austin's like, dang it. <laughs> uh, basketball player, who's the greatest basketball player? Michael yeah. Jordan. Yeah, Jordan's, I mean, if you say something else, there's a bias going on there. Uh, golfer, Tig- Tiger, Tiger and Nicholas, daily, yeah. Yeah, it's great, it's great. That's a great uh, hockey. Gretzky. Gretzky, okay. Boxer. Tyson, Tyson. Tyson. Ali, yeah, I, I would probably start with Ali. So I was, I was thinking about this this week and I started kind of going down this rabbit trail of researching the greatest heavyweight boxers in the history of the world, really. Uh, modern history. But so... And there's, it's funny because there's some names that stood out to me. If you don't follow boxing, these, you'll probably know most of these names, but I'm not like a UFC guy. I respect it, but it's just too much for me, honestly, especially not to get weird with, you know, sexism and stuff, but like, especially with the ladies, like I can't handle just, I just, I'm a wuss. I can't handle it. Boxing, on the other hand, I feel like there's something really pure and really like there's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing sport, but I was thinking about, okay, who's the greatest heavyweight boxer ever. And so I started kind of, my initial thing was it's Ali. Like I'm the greatest, he's the greatest, right? All these things. But I thought about Tyson. I'm like, dude, I remember being a kid watching Mike Tyson's fights. Dude, that guy was terrifying. I mean, he wasn't the biggest guy by any means. He was just by far the most intimidating. He would knock guys out in the first round all the time. And you could start to see like as his career started to gain steam, like the, the you guys try to act hard and tough before the fight. And it's like, after he starts, his record starts like piling up wins and first round knockouts. The guys are trying to look tough, but you could literally see it in their eyes. They're terrified of him. He was, he was a freaking nightmare, man. And then you have Muhammad Ali, right? I think probably the greatest fighter of all time. And he's kind of widely recognized as the greatest, maybe because he was just so mentally tough. I think that's kind of what, like his, his thing was he, was, he was mentally stronger than his opponent, like all the time. He would get into their head, and he's obviously, you know, world-class athlete, all that stuff. And in the process of, of trying to, okay, who's the greatest boxer? I came along uh, Rocky Marciano. Does anybody know who that is? He was a heavyweight boxer from like the 40s and the 50s. 
And here's why I bring him up. It's because he's the only heavyweight boxer who retired undefeated. It's crazy. It's like, wait, really? Like there's all these incredible gifted athletes throughout the generations. He's the only one who retired, the only heavyweight boxer who retired undefeated. And so I started watching these YouTube clips of him. This dude was a monster. Like, like we're talking about the 40s and the 50s. He's like hitting guys and they're like falling out of the ring. Like all these crazy things. It was intense, right? And I think one of the things that struck me was in his, in his footage was, yes, he was like powerful at hitting and stuff, but the dude would take punches at an alarming rate. So it wasn't just that he was really good at hitting. He was taking these punches that most people would be like, I'm done. Like, there's a, couple, there's a couple clips of him getting punched in the face repeatedly, and then he would counterpunch. And he'd get punched two or three times, and then he'd counterpunch. So he was landing less punches than his opponent, but he would end up knocking them out. It was, he was just, it was crazy. And, and that's how I started reading about the strategy that he had that I thought was absolutely brilliant in the way that he would fight. And what he would do is he would, he would prioritize punching the opponent's arms. And I'm like, I've never thought about that. That sounds really stupid. Why would you punch their arms? Aren't you supposed to go for the body or for the, you know, the head? And he would punch their arms. And it was brilliant because what would happen is their arms would get so like, depleted and so just sore that they, they couldn't lift up their arms to punch, let alone to defend themselves. And I was like... Brilliant fighting strategy, Rocky Marciano. I think Tyson's fighting strategy had a lot to do with intimidation. I think Ali's strategy had a lot to do with just mental toughness and wearing down your opponent mentally. Um, we're going to talk about fighting today. What if I told you that there was a way to defeat your opponents in life every time. Like to be undefeated. Today's passage, Jesus is gonna teach his disciples how to fight in such a way as to never be defeated by your opponent. And I'm not talking about boxing. I'm talking about conflict. I'm talking about when somebody wrongs you. Maybe not with a punch, but maybe with, their, with other forms of behavior, maybe with their words or their actions. And so uh, you can go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter five again. We are gonna continue on in this series that we've been going through, through the, the book of Matthew, entitled The King and His Kingdom. And it's, it's really exploring what the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like. Uh, there's this misunderstanding uh, maybe not misunderstanding, but like this limited understanding, I feel like, in our culture of what the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of heaven is. So oftentimes people view the kingdom of heaven as something that you go to after you die. And absolutely, we get to experience the kingdom in its fullness um, after we die if we're in Christ, absolutely. Um, but it's so much more than that. It's more than a place you go to after you die. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is his rule, the rule and the reign of the king. It's wherever Jesus is ruling and reigning. It's when he has his way. And the reality of the Bible is that, you guys have heard me say this a lot, but it's important to put this in front of us, is that we get to experience the kingdom of heaven partly now in the present and fully in the future. And so we're exploring this. We're going through Matthew's gospels. What does it look like to, to experience the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, partly now? 
and then fully in the future. We're in this, uh, past, this, this section of Matthew chapter five known as the Sermon on the Mount, right? The greatest sermon ever preached. And we're right in this stage of the Sermon on the Mount, just to review, just to review for you and put it in front of you, what's known as the six antitheses. And it's where Jesus goes, you've heard it said before, but I tell you this. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And what Jesus is doing is he's not contradicting the Old Testament teachings. Now, he's not overturning the Old Testament teachings. He's addressing misguided interpretations by the scribes and Pharisees. He's bringing clarity. He's helping them see this is what the kingdom of heaven, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And today we're gonna to talk about fighting in the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, great. If you don't, no worries. We'll have the words on the screen for you. Before I read our passage today, I just wanna pray. So will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you help us this morning? I know that, that that's like your desire. You, you are the helper. According to the New Testament, you are our helper. And so we appeal to who you are this morning. Would you help us? Would you teach us more about your kingdom, God? About your rule, your reign, your way, and the incredible privileges and benefits that we get to experience when we yield to your kingdom. And so, Father, would you help me to get out of your way? I don't want to do anything. I want to, I want to love and serve um, these precious people in the room. So would you, would you uh, help me? Would you help us? Would you point us to Jesus, Holy Spirit? Father, we're grateful for your unending love for us. So teach us, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 38, Jesus, in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached, says this, You've heard, uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay, that's our passage. Uh, I wanna give you a little bit of background here, okay? What's happening here in verse 38 when Jesus says an eye for, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What he's doing there is he's referencing three different passages um, from the Old Testament. He's referencing Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20, and Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21, okay? And remember, what Jesus is doing here is he's clarifying. He's not overturning Old Testament teachings. He's clarifying them so that people can understand, right? Now, that whole eye for an eye thing, tooth for a tooth thing, that's what's known as the law of retaliation, I want to read you a quote from a scholar. It says this. This isn't going to be on the screen. Just listen. It says this. Quote, this law of retaliation, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was God's means of maintaining justice and purging evil from among his people. Listen to this. It was intended to prevent inappropriate punishment and was imposed by civil authorities rather than individuals. End quote. So in other words, this is God saying, hey, the punishment should fit the crime. 
The punishment should fit the crime. So I want to I want to have some fun here for a second. Um, I need two volunteers. Avery Russell, Russell, I think you're an incredible volunteer. Okay, she doesn't want to. It's okay. Nyla, come on up. Come on up. Okay, we need somebody else. Let's see. I'm just, I'm just loving the people. Um, Owen, let's go. Okay, so Owen, Nyla, Owen, come camp out next to Nyla. You guys are cool. I just want to, I want to, I want to, I want to do a little experiment here. Okay. Now, let's see here. What do I want to say? Okay, so Owen, theoretical situation. These are both incredible people, okay? Uh, let's just say that, that they make some poor choices, okay? So Owen, he stumbles, he's getting good at computers, and he figures out how to steal your identity, Online, okay? So Owen steals your identity online. He gets all your information, your social security number, your birthday, all the things that he needs, and he empties out all of your financial bank accounts. Like all of them. I mean, he's balling now, right? He's got all your checking account, gone. Your savings account, gone. Your 401k, your retirement, all your stocks, all your crypto, no matter what you have. And he just empties all of it into his possession, Okay? And not only that, but because he stole your identity, he knows where you live. So he shows up to your house, and he's got gas cans, and he's like, I'm just going to kind of paint the house with some gas. And maybe the cars, too. He's like, I did this last weekend. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I just want to watch it burn. So he, he just lights a match, throws it on the house, throws it on the cars. So single-handedly, Owen has destroyed all of your property and seized all of your assets, okay? How should he be punished? Think about it in your head. Okay, so let's just say we got together and we're like, you know what? Or not, not even we, but whoever, whoever you want to deem as the civil authority goes, you know what? That's not okay, Owen. You destroyed Aaron Russell's life, okay? <laughs> you destroyed Lindsey Greaves' life. $100 fine, $100 fine, get out of here, okay? No, you're fine. Okay, now Nyla, on the other hand, again, like starting to make some poor choices, okay? She's walking her dog in your neighborhood and her dog stops in front of your house and you know what's about to happen. That dog begins to squat in front of your home and leave you the most disgusting present that's ever been left at your doorstep. And then Nyla, and then Nyla decides, she looks around, she's like, let's go. And she leaves it there. Okay, this happens in my neighborhood actually quite often. People have these little signs that say, don't disrespect us, like pick up after your dog. So Nyla does that. And we're like, okay, this deserves punishment. Life in prison. (laughs) 
Thank you guys so much. Um, silly, ridiculous illustration. But like, if that were to happen in real life, if Owen were to get a $100 fine and Nyla were to get life in prison, don't you think there'd be some outrage? Don't you think there'd be this cry for like, wait, that's unjust. Like, I'm all, I think we're all for um, adequate and, and appropriate um, consequences. But when it's, when it's off, it's not just. And we as human beings desire justice. You know who else really cares about justice? Your maker. God Almighty cares about justice. He cares deeply about justice. And that's why he tells his people, the punishment needs to fit the crime. It, it ought to be eye for an eye, not, one, not two eyes for one eye. Not a leg and an arm for an eye, but an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's this whole concept of the punishment should fit the crime. And, and here's the thing. In Old Testament times, in God's guidance here, it was never, it was never to be carried out by an individual. It was guidance for civil authorities on how to handle things. And so that's what Jesus is beginning to correct here. He's beginning to go, you've heard it said eye for an eye. That's been used for individuals to, to inflict revenge and retaliation instead of what God intended for it to be, that the punishment should fit the crime and there shouldn't be unjust punishment either way. You tracking with me? Jesus is providing clarity. That's one of the most beautiful things that he does for us. Uh, look back at verse 39. Verse 39, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. That word resist is deeper than you think it is, okay? That word resist, it means to oppose, or hear me, or to retaliate. Think about that for a second. Now, typically, when somebody wrongs you, you're a human being just like me, when somebody wrongs you, uh, your response you retaliate in one of two ways, typically. Attacking and withdrawing, okay? Those are by far the two most typical ways that human beings respond and retaliate when they're wronged, okay? Now, the attacking piece is fairly obvious, right? Uh, your, sp your, your, your sibling kicks you, so what do you do? You kick them back or you hit them back or something. There's this retaliation, attack, right? Somebody says something unkind to you, you fire back. Attacking's fairly obvious, right? Withdrawing is like, a, it's kind of not as obvious. Now, when I say withdrawing, I don't mean like, I don't mean like, um, like self-defense and like getting away. And so, I mean like, what, what I'm talking about when I say withdrawing is I'm talking about like stonewalling. That's like giving the cold shoulder, okay? Now hear me, both attacking and withdrawing. Some of you, I can see you guys are already thinking about like, oh, I'm an attacker, yeah, that's me. I withdraw. You're already seeing it. But listen, here's the thing. Both attacking and withdrawing are used as a weapon. Listen, because both are a fighting strategy. When somebody wrongs you, you retaliate by or by attacking. 
And here's the thing. I, I think I, so oftentimes I, I, I tend to, uh, the way I'm wired is I'll go black or white, but so much of life is gray. So much of life, there's nuance to it, right? We all use both strategies. We all can tend to attack. We all can tend to withdraw. It just depends on the relationship. Let me give you an example, right? So maybe it's really easy for you to attack. And again, when, when, there's, when there's opposition, somebody wrongs you, it might, it's probably really easy for you to attack like a sibling or a spouse. Whereas if it's somebody else from church, you'd probably just withdraw or vice versa. It's really easy to attack a spouse. It's really, it's really easy to withdraw from a pastor or a leader because nah. Attack a coworker, but withdraw from your boss. We do it different. We're, we're nuanced people. But here's the thing. I would argue that most of us have a go-to fighting strategy. What is it for you? When somebody wrongs you, maybe you dealt with this this morning, maybe you dealt with this this week, this month, this year, when somebody wrongs you, and I'm, I'm not, here, don't hear me, like I'm not downplaying that you were wronged. That's not what I'm doing at all. When somebody wrongs you, what's your go-to fighting strategy? Attack or withdraw? Now, did you catch Jesus? He describes the slap here. Verse 39, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you, you ever been slapped in the face? <clears throat> uh, how many of you would agree with me? A slap is different than a punch, especially men in the room. Like, I feel like I'd rather be punched than slapped in the face. It's like this insult with slapping in the face. It's, it's not new. Like 2,000 years ago, a slap was way more of an insult than it was like a physical thing. Slap is much more insulting now, did you catch that it said on your right cheek? When somebody slaps you on your right cheek, why would they give the detail of the right cheek? Is it just like this side that is insulting and this side is like, no. What they're getting at is, is it's, it's kind of a, a common thing at the time is they're outlining a backhanded slap, which was like the supreme insult. Okay, if you're gonna get slapped, it's, it's insulting. If you, like in their culture, if you were backhanded, a backhanded slap was like, Dude, big time, supreme insult. This is way more about being insulted than it is about physical harm. And then Jesus says what? He says, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. What is he talking about? What Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't retaliate. That's, that's, that's gnarly. Don't retaliate, Jesus. He's saying, don't attack. Don't withdraw. Don't retaliate. To retaliate is not to, withtrack, not to attack. It's not to withdraw. It's to not wrong someone after you have been wronged. But rather to lovingly absorb the wrongdoing. Now hear me. Absorbing the wrongdoing, that's different than embracing abuse. 
Like, please hear me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He is not saying, just, just pre- present yourself to be abused to all people all, at all times. That's not what he's saying at all. Jesus is not prohibiting self-defense here. He's not, prohibit, he's not prohibiting fleeing from evil. That's not what's going on. He's not condoning abuse. He's teaching something. He's teaching my, my first main point, and that's this that retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy. Why? Because retaliation leads to escalation. Retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy. When someone someone wrongs you, your fighting strategy, what's it gonna be? If it's retaliation, it's foolish because retaliation leads to escalation. Let's do some world history for a second. I might lose some of you on this, but some of you young people, uh, you're probably learning about this in school. 1914, the year 1914, you have the, the Austrian Archduke Franz Ferdinand. He actually influenced a uh, really cool band, but that's another story. Uh, Franz Ferdinand, he was assassinated in 1914. Some of you already know where I'm going because you paid attention in, in world history. So he's assassinated in 1914, and then it sets off this series of events. Uh, Austria, right, he's the, he's the uh, archduke. Austria then declares war on Serbia because Serbia, the Serbia had something to do with the assassination, right? So then Germany, which was, an, which was an ally to Austria, declares war on Russia, which is an ally to Serbia. And then France, which is an ally to Russia as well, they declare war on them. So it's sort of like uh, Kevin and Lisa, they're allies, right? And, and there's conflict with Harrison. And because Harrison's married to Siena, now there's like, okay, we allies then d- declare war on each other's allies and like, so it's not just with countries. It happens with people all the time. Not these people. They're just in my eye view. Right? So you have, then you have Great Britain, right? Who's an ally to France. They declare war on Germany because, again, allies, right? And then next thing you know, you have a world that's at war. World War I, 20 million deaths, 21 million wounded. One person assassinated. Guys, retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy because retaliation leads to escalation. What's crazy too is most, most historians really believe that, uh, that World War II was caused because of, the out, because of what happened at the end of World War, World War I, which is like the Treaty of Versailles, right? So what happened at the end of the Treaty of Versailles was Germany was kind of forced by these other nations uh, to do some things after the war. Germany was forced to accept blame. They were forced uh, to limit their armed forces. They, they were forced to lose some of their territories and their colonies. And they were forced to pay reparations. The Germans were upset about that. Okay? And over time, next thing you know, they invade Poland and then now you have the start of World War II. So you could literally trace back, and check this out, yeah, you could literally trace back World War I and World War II to the assassination of one person. World War II, 40 to 50 million people died. Just just hear me. Like, let's learn from human history, right? Retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy because it always leads to escalation. 
Um, you know that famous quote? It sometimes gets credited to Gandhi, but I did some research and I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true. But the famous quote is, you know, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. That's oftentimes used, ironically, uh, to criticize the Bible. <laughs> but in fact, it's actually reinforcing a biblical principle that retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy because it always leads to escalation. So, if retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy for all of us, what else do we do? Thankfully, we have Jesus. Look at verse 40 through 42. We just read it. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Okay, right here, Jesus gives two effective fighting strategies in order to defeat your opponent. Will you guys throw up that slide? I think it's the second one. The effective fighting strategies slide. <clears throat> Here's the two, uh, the next one, yeah. Here's the two effective fighting strategies that Jesus gives us. Radical generosity and sacrificial service. This is wild. Let me get this straight, Jesus. Somebody wrongs me. And you want me to not retaliate. You want me to be radically generous to them and to serve them sacrificially? Um, that whole story about, you know, if somebody asks you to go one mile, you go the second mile. Uh, let me give you the context on that really quick. The Roman military, they occupied Israel at the time of the New Testament, right? So they occupy Israel at the time, and what would happen is soldiers would, you know, see a Jewish man or woman on the street, and they would, they would force them to carry a pack with, like, a really heavy load on it, but they were only really able to force them to do that for about a mile. That was very, very common um, at the time, and the Jews hated this. I mean, you could imagine it, right? Like, let's say we were occupied by whoever, whatever country, whatever foreign country, and you're grocery shopping, you got your kids, you're doing your thing, you gotta go home to make dinner. And the soldier comes up and goes, stop what you're doing. Here's this heavy pack. I need you to carry this uh, down to Marietta. Jesus goes, yeah, if, if, if someone has you carry it one mile, go the extra mile. Give them another mile. That phrase, you know, go the extra mile, this is where it comes from. Let me read something to you. And this is, this is not just Jesus' teaching. Paul, the apostle, reinforces this as well. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, you guys should have this back there. It says this, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Just let that sink in for one second. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But, and then he's gonna quote a proverb here. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. 
Um, that whole thing about heaping fiery coals onto someone's head, what in the world does that mean? I spent probably more time trying to get to the bottom of that, read so many different commentaries. And the reality is, scholars aren't really in agreement. They're not sure. There's, There's some really good theories out there, but there's not like consensus, this is what it means. There's disagreement. But here's what we do know. We do know that fire is used as a metaphor all throughout the scriptures. And what, one, of the, one of the primary things that, 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 that God um, uses fire to illustrate is that fire refines. Fire refines. Fire refines, like let's say you took a, 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 hunk, of, a hunk of gold, a hunk of any metal, any precious metal, and you put it under the flame, what happens? It starts to melt, Right? Fire refines by revealing the impurities within. And then what happens is the fire reveals those impurities from within and then it burns them away, leaving what? Pure gold. Leaving purity, something that's completely pure. So friends, when somebody wrongs you, And instead of you retaliating, you choose radical generosity and sacrificial service. It's like a refining fire. It reveals their impurities to them in a way that few other things can. Listen, you attacking them, you attacking someone who's wronged you, very ineffective at revealing the other person's impurities to them. When you withdraw, very ineffective at revealing the other person's impurities to them. But these two fighting strategies that Jesus gives, sacrificial service, radical generosity, they're powerful, man. And they're rooted in love and they're rooted in kindness. So listen to me. These these fighting strategies that Jesus gives They're not about getting even. They're not about revenge. They're about reflecting God. Hear me, I'm gonna say it again. I know phones are going off in the room, not not a coincidence. These fighting strategies, they're not about getting even. They're not about revenge. They're about reflecting God. Uh, Look at Romans chapter two, verses four. I'm gonna read it in the CSB first. Or do you despise the riches of his God's kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? What's what's it that leads the person to repentance? God's kindness. Let's read it in NLT. It says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Hear me. When I say this isn't about getting even, this isn't about revenge, these fighting strategies, they're about reflecting God. This is how Jesus fights. This is how Jesus fights. This is how Jesus overcomes his opponents. 
By opponents, I mean those who resist him, those who rebel against him, those who reject him. This guy. I mean, think about this for a second. Like, the greatest act of generosity in the history of the world is that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, hear me. Let the gospel come to your heart right now. At the cross, God gives his own blood for who? For his opponents. For people who live in opposition to him. God, your kingdom, your rule, your reign is, is, is fine. My way, my rule, my reign is actually better. So I'm gonna resist, reject, rebel against your ways and do my own thing because I know better. It's people like me that live that way, people like you that live that way, that that's who God gives his blood for at the cross. It's incredible. Not just generosity, but service, man. The greatest act of service in the history of the world is Christ in my place. Not just his death, but his life. His perfect life is a substitute for me. Like he's my substitute, my imperfect life. I get to exchange for his perfect life. That means I get his perfect record and so do you if you trust in him. Jesus, being, being, being worshiped and adored and glorified in eternity, angels have not stopped singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God. like forever. He's got, he's, he's got everything he's ever gonna need. And yet he chooses to leave heaven to come and live the perfect life in our place. Man, talk about sacrificial. I mean, it, it cost him everything. Friends, God's fighting strategy, it's not retaliation. It's grace. It's undeserved kindness and love. And hear me, grace is the most powerful force in the universe. Nothing can match it. Is this like good news to you? I hope it comforts you the way that it comforts me to know that God's fighting strategy with, with those who oppose him is not to retaliate against them, but to, but to lavish them with grace and love and kindness, with radical generosity and sacrificial service. You at your worst, you know what God, when he looks at you, at you at your worst, according to the scriptures, according to the gospel, when he looks at you at your worst, he's not going, oh, I'm gonna get you. He's going, load up the radical generosity load up the sacrificial service. And how does he deliver it? Through his son and his spirit enlightening people like you and like me to the reality that God, God does not, his fighting strategy is not retaliation with you. It's to defeat you, that's not the best word, but to overcome and overwhelm you with grace, with undeserved love and kindness Man, I hope this is good news to you this morning. I'm excited about it because it, it produces a certain level of freedom in me. Friends, 
when a person comes to grips with the grace of God for them, knockout blow. You don't stand a chance. There's nothing more powerful than undeserved love and kindness. And not like culturally, just kill them with kindness, man. Just kill them with kindness. It doesn't work that way, okay? Because Jesus' fighting strategy is really hard. It's really, really difficult. You can only like kill them with kindness out of your own strength for like 10 minutes. And then you're like, attack. Or withdraw, I'm done. Either way, both of them are a weapon. Both of them are retaliation. Both of them are not the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us a better way. He shows us a way that actually produces victory, not escalation. Jesus' fighting strategy is really hard. In fact, I'd say it's almost impossible to do. In order to use Jesus' fighting strategies with your opponents, you first have to realize that it's the same strategy that he uses with you and with me. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And the same is true for every opponent you face. Everybody who wrongs you, it's kindness that leads to repentance, not retaliation. All right, I'm gonna call the band up. I'll close with one more thing. Um, Love, will you hand me my water so I don't feed back? You guys doing okay? Thanks, baby. Mm -hmm. That was a great catch. I don't usually uh, pat myself on the back, but I thought I was gonna drop it. Are you guys getting this? Are you seeing what Jesus is showing us here? He's showing us the foolishness of, of using retaliation as a fighting strategy with our opponents, with people who wrong to us, okay? He says, turn the other cheek. This is like, this is, this teaching is so revolutionary because no one naturally does this. Turn the other cheek, don't retaliate. Retaliation is a foolish fighting strategy because it, retaliation leads to escalation. You know that famous Martin Luther King quote that always gets like posted on Martin Luther King Day? Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It's brilliant. Man knew Jesus. Check this out. Fighting sin with sin will never defeat sin. Only grace can do that. So please, like as we're engaging in life and sins of others are affecting us, we all have a choice of how we're gonna respond. Are we gonna respond with with fleshly, like our own selfish fleshly kingdom values, or are we gonna respond with the kingdom of God? Fighting sin with sin will never defeat sin. Only grace can do that. But thankfully, Jesus and his patience and his love and in his kindness and his infinite wisdom, he teaches us a better way, the way of the kingdom of God, radical generosity, sacrificial service. Hear me. These strategies, they defeat your opponent. Remember I said, hey, if you want to be undefeated and how you face off with your opponent, these strategies defeat your opponent because in essence, they're a refusal to treat the person like an opponent. 
Consider the implications with me. Just dream, imagine. Think about uh, uh, youth in the room. Think about your siblings. And one of your siblings wrongs you. Like really. Imagine what would happen if you didn't respond with retaliation. What if you responded with radical generosity and sacrificial service? I wonder if over time that wouldn't reveal the impurities in their heart in hopes that they might turn away from that. Those of you married couples in the room, the next time your spouse is like quick and mean or whatever, compromised, if you will, what if you didn't respond? What if, you, what if your fighting strategy wasn't retaliation? What if it was a better way? So, pastorally, who in your life right now in this season, who are you treating as an opponent? Here's how you know. You're either with tacking, or sorry, you're either attacking or you're withdrawing. Who are you attacking right now? You find yourself attacking. Who do you find yourself withdrawing from? That's who you know that you're treating like an opponent. Maybe it is a spouse. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody in your gospel community. Maybe it's a leader in the church. What would happen if you and I began to implement a different fighting strategy? Radical generosity and sacrificial service. It's the way of Jesus. It's the kingdom of God at work. What if instead of revenge, we focused on reflecting God? What if we fought the way that Jesus fights? Undeserved love and kindness and grace. It, capt- it, defeated, my, it defeated my heart. It, he won my heart. It's my story and it's every, every one of your stories. Those of you that are in Christ in this room, it's your story too. What if we live that way as a church? What if you live that way in your household with your relationships? Hear me, let me reinforce the good news to you. That's the way Jesus handles those who oppose him. So maybe you find yourself in a season where you're like, dude, yeah, I'm, I can see some of the ways that I'm, Nah, I'm missing the mark. Can I encourage you? And can I remind you of the good news? Can I comfort you for a moment? When God looks at you, he's not seeking to retaliate. He's not seeking to see, he's not seeking revenge with you. He sent his one and only son to absorb it so that you could be free from it. Let me pray for us. Father, there's really nobody like you. Like you're incredible, you're wonderful, you're amazing. I love the way that you engage with those who oppose you. The way that you engage with your opponents is so different than the world that we're in. It's radical and it's powerful. And I pray that you would teach us as your disciples, as your children, how we can join you in advancing your kingdom on the earth specifically with how we treat, how we engage those who oppose us, the opponents in our life, whether they're close, whether they're biology, whether they're blood, whether they're a neighbor, whether they're a friend, whether they're spiritual biology, whether they're whatever. 
And I pray that you would produce an incredible unity, an incredible love, and you would advance your kingdom in us and through us as we're people who adopt your fighting strategies instead of the world's. So we love you, Jesus. Thank you for being so kind to us. Would you comfort us, Holy Spirit? Anybody in the room who's feeling down on themselves, would you remind them of how you, how, how you're, how you look upon them with favor, with blessing, because of the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus in our place. You're wonderful, Jesus. Let us be moved to offer you worship now and praise because you're worth it. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, I want to invite you to stand if you're able. Now would be a really, really good time for you at a heart level to engage with God in some of the ways that maybe you've been living as his opponent. And I think it would be fantastic if at a heart level, you were able to receive from him the grace and the love and the kindness that's undeserved for you so that you can address maybe how you've been living with other people as an, as an opponent instead of an object of your love and kindness, an object of your grace. You with me? Let's let, let's let God do something in our heart this morning. And maybe just maybe as we submit more and more to his lordship, his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his way will free us from opposing kingdoms of bondage, of fear, of anxiety, of division. We were created for so much more. Let's receive it this morning, okay? Love you guys very much. Enjoy him. We have more time. I just wanna, I wanna open the, the, the gathering up for some ministry time. So if you're on the prayer team, would you maybe make your way over to the side of the room for us? Um, if you're in a spot where you could use some prayer, some encouragement, whether it be with um, conflict in your life currently, um, things that are causing maybe some anxiety, some worry in you, um, if you need uh, spiritual healing, if you need physical healing, if you, if you find yourself where you're like, man, I, I, I feel like God has something for me, um, I want to encourage you. There's trusted men and women off to the side. For the rest of our gathering, the band's still going to lead us to, to offer God praise and offer him worship. Um, but there's also um, some personal work that I believe God wants to do with many of us. And it does require faith. It requires acting in trust. And so that literally, what that looks like in this scenario is you getting up, humbling yourself, going to someone, asking them to pray for you. Mark my words. God will meet you and he will honor your act of faith and trust in him. And so if anything, if something's going on in you and you desire encouragement, you desire maybe increased peace, you desire increased faith um, to, to face some of the opposition that you're experiencing in your life, maybe it's conflict, maybe it's other things, I want to encourage you to receive prayer. Um, we're going to go for probably another, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes or so, and then Eric's going to close us. Yeah, uh, pastor us and close us, okay, guys? So we can, keep, we can keep praising him, but I wanted to make prayer available to you. You can go over it anytime you want. Um, yeah. Thank you that you're sacrificial in your love and radical in your generosity. It's changed my life. It's changed many lives in this room, and may you continue to change lives through our response to being offended and hurt. May we come face-to-face -face with Jesus through one another. And may the world see you for who you really are. In your name, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you, Tom. Also, we got 15 minutes. So here's sermonette number two. I'm just kidding. I'm going to try to keep it brief. Five preacher minutes. Here we go. 
Um, so as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about this, this, this moment over the summer where I actually read a book about Ty Cobb. Anybody know who Ty Cobb is? A few of you guys do. He, was a, he has the highest batting average in history of Major League Baseball. In other words, he was fantastic at just putting the bat on the ball and getting hits. Some of you may know him uh, because of that, but most people know him because of the kind of popular narrative about him, that he was a racist. That was kind of like the popular narrative. And I, for whatever reason, I really felt this summer, listen, like go through this book about Ty Cobb. And so I did. It was like a 16-hour audiobook. I went through the whole thing. It was a commitment. But I did it. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, and all I knew was like Ty Cobb, great hitter, great racist, you know? That's basically what I thought, or not great in the positive sense, but a significant, you know, you know what I mean. At the end of the book, I realized like, oh man, I think this man has been misrepresented. I think this man has been misrepresented, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why that is. And it was interesting because I was able to kind of develop like a compassion for him, and an understanding of who he was in his time and place and why he responded to things the way he did. He actually wasn't so much a racist just as he had a really bad temper. <laughs> Didn't matter what you looked like. He was going to blow up on you if you felt wrong by you. So, but there's a couple of famous stories that really blew that up in a specific direction. Why am I mentioning this? I think what Tom was talking about today, as I was chewing on it, as I was thinking about it, uh, what, part of what we're talking about is representation, Representing Jesus. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you are his representative in the world. You're, but together we represent him. And how we respond to being wronged, it can reveal Jesus or conceal him from people. It can represent him well or misrepresent him. So, here's what I'm saying. When we respond to being wronged with radical generosity, the two things that Tom talked about, radical generosity and sacrificial service, you know what it does? It puts people face-to-face -face with Jesus. It reveals him. And then all of a sudden, when, when we represent him well, like they have a choice about what they do with Jesus. When we misrepresent him, though, it muddies the waters. It conceals him, who he really is. And so... I want to just leave us with this, this question of like, what does your representation reveal about Jesus? And I want to ask myself that same question because I think too often what conflict does for me is it reveals my, the need for me to be refined. Tom talked about refining. And it's kind of like in conflict, our response can reveal Jesus or our need for, to be refined, one or the other. Now, the beautiful part is you can be refined. I can be refined. We can be refined. But it requires confession. It requires saying, like, I don't know that I'm really settled in my heart that God has been kind to me. I think pride might be, like, actually squeezing that out of my soul because I'm not really kind to others when they're, when they're being ridiculous. Because my story, and I can't get into it now, but is I was being ridiculous and I was met by grace. That's my story. And it's changed my life. And now I want to represent him well. At the end of your life, the big question will be like, how did you represent Jesus? How did we represent Jesus? That's what's going to define us as a church. That will be the legacy of Restored Church. Revealed Jesus or concealed him? 
people experienced him or they experienced a misrepresentation of him. And it depends on how we respond. Now, the good news is we can practice this with one another because people in this room will wrong you. We'll wrong one another. It's just a reality. But how we respond to that makes all the difference in the world. So if you're here and you're like, man, I think I need to be refined because my responses to being wronged are wrong, we've got a prayer team that would love to pray for you. We would love to pray for you. We would love to, to help you however we can so that you can, re- you can reveal Jesus. You can represent him well. So I'm going to pray really quickly, and then we're going to have about 10 minutes. And you can go get your kids if you've got kids by 12, but you have 10 minutes really just to do some business. Maybe there's a conversation you need to have in the room. Maybe you need to get prayer from someone because you're recognizing, man, I'm, I'm reactive. And it's not revealing Jesus, it's concealing him. There's grace for you. The kindness of God has not changed for you. It's just a matter of, will, will we humble ourselves to receive it? So, Father, thank you. Thank you that uh, as the church, we get to represent you. And that we get to represent you well. And that when we do, people come face to face with you. And you are beautiful. You are compelling. The scripture talks about your kindness leading us to repentance. Would we be the kind of people who, and would I, and would we be the kind of people who represent you well? So that people, whether they're a part of the church or not, come face to face with you when they are with us in our worst moments. And I mean, in their worst moments when they're face to face, when they're with us, that they see you in it. And when that's not the case, that we would repent towards that and be refined. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to soft close. You've got 10 minutes before kids ministry, before you got to go pick up your kids. Enjoy this time. Use it. Love you guys. Enjoy your Sunday.